We've heard plenty of stories of these country kids that go from schools of 20 or 30 people to schools of 1,500. When I was at school, a couple of moons ago, I used to spend a fair bit of time with the porters, whether it was pizza nights or bringing them around to our house. That transition for kids from country communities and sometimes even school of the air can be a big step. Amanda and the team at Boarding Schools Expo have been supporting rural kids and their families through creating a community away from the places they call home for 19 years. Boarding Schools Expo have teamed up with 23 boarding schools and the Isolated Children's Parents Association to hold a virtual summit answering the questions to help the kids settle into boarding life and, well, help the parents out as well. Find out more at boardingexpo.com.au. Over the last few weeks as part of our collaboration with Meat and Livestock Australia, we've chatted to Chef Sam Burke, Managing Director Jason Strong. We've heard from Sandra Ison about what's happening in the little town of Hay. And this week, we're chatting with Erica Halliday, who is just an absolute legend. And this chat left me feeling so energised and excited. So I'm not going to take any more of your time. Let's get into it. He was like, nah, you know, because I was thinking another trade or whatever, but I knew I had this attraction to ag. He's like, no, 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 don't do another trade. Use use your brain. You've got a brain. Go to uni and, um, you know, you'll, you'll fly. G'day and welcome to episode 83 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and as always, thank you so much for joining us. I'd just like to acknowledge the Wiradjuri people and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend those respects to the lands on wherever you're listening to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. Well, we're back for another Super Saturday series and it's our second last one for the year. This week, we're chatting with Chris Tui. Chris is an agronomist with elders, and his story is pretty bloody unique. He grew up on a mixed sheep, beef, rice, and dryland cropping farm down in the New South Wales Riverina, but his family actually looked to push him away from agriculture. So Chris took up the trade and did landscape. He knew he had a real love for plants, and that took him around Australia on a trip where he ended up in Perth. After suffering an injury... Chris ended up coming back into farming and subsequently going into study. That led him down the path of agronomy, and as they say, the rest is history. Are you managing? It's been pretty wet everywhere. You're managing to keep yourself afloat at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. No, um, it's not ideal timing for rain for all the farmers with um, with their harvest going on, but. Uh, yeah, early days yet. It really depends a bit on the weather conditions for the next few days um, with humidity and things like that as to hopefully not getting too much grain damage but for harvest. But, um, yeah, we don't really know yet until until things dry up a bit and it's still raining as I speak. So Yeah, they're a resilient bunch out there. So I'm sure yeah. there'll be an opportunity out of it somewhere for, for all those farmers. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's uh, not... Anything new, put it that way. This is agriculture. You got to uh, be dealing with the elements of the weather conditions, and yeah, it's not something we can control, unfortunately. Definitely not. In terms of your job as an agronomist, is it making your job easier or harder at the moment as you start to look towards the next few next year or so? Uh it's not right right at the moment. As in, either way, it's it's um, on a positive. I mean, all this sort of rain out of season for us, like being based in the southern part of Australia, 
Um, we don't rely on summer rainfall, of course, but it's more of a more of a northern weather pattern, if you like, where they rely on summer rain and have summer crops with cotton and corn and um, soybeans and and sorghum and these sort of crops, whereas we don't. Um, and other than that, up north, you know, they really rely on the soil moisture, the moisture in this time of year to build build up so that then they can plant a winter crop with that moisture. So for us, it's a bit abnormal. It's sort of out of season and we get these sort of years every now and again. And if there's a positive, it's building up the soil moisture reserve and to really be able to sow winter crops um, next year, if it continues into February, March, April, well, it'll be an unbelievable start um, to next year. So from my point of view as an agronomist, it's, it, it helps with planning, um, the way canola prices are, and I'm busy um, planning for farmers at the moment as to what we're growing in what paddocks. So certainly um, with this sort of rain, it's, it's a positive for canola next year, but obviously um, that's not what we're really focusing on. We're trying to get this crop off first. But Absolutely, yeah, looking at, at what's in front of us right now. I, I want to jump back because you're back in Aubrey and, and the Southern Riverina there. Whereabouts were you growing up? You were a farm kid, weren't you? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, um, great childhood. I couldn't recommend a, I suppose you don't know how else you would have been brought up, do you? So I'm sort of <laughs> um, but yeah, you couldn't couldn't trade it for anything as far as I'm concerned, growing up on a farm and um hence we've just we've got four young kids ourselves and we've just um moved out to our new house. We've built on our 130 acres just out of Albury and it's just brilliant, a brilliant lifestyle and we grew up. Dad was a one of the first ever rice growers um, back in the 70s um, uh, in the Murray Valley. And, um, yeah, um, so I grew up around irrigation, you know, around irrigation crops. So rice, a bit of corn, um, irrigated cereal crops, winter crops, um, canola and wheat and um and sort of pastures as well, so livestock production. So, yeah, we were on the on irrigation country, which you really relied on. It wasn't a high; it's not a high rainfall, but it's a sort of a medium to low rainfall zone, and um, so you really relied on the irrigation water to to grow your agriculture production. And so, many a summer day when you're changing changing the slides on the rice banks that you're dodging brown snakes as well. Oh, unbelievable! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, if there's a is it if there's a positive to um, growing rice, it was growing up with a shotgun and shooting ducks, and every night, you know, it was great. Um, I used to love my shooting, and but if there's a negative, it's the brown snakes. They just love the water, and unbelievable. Yeah, nah, <laughs> the snakes did yet. God, help, helped a few mates um, around Drilderie and Finley there, and I tell you. I'm not the biggest fan of snakes at any time, let alone when they surprise you. So, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, there you go, children friendly. So, yeah, you're from that area, are you? Or are you? No, no, um, just a couple of mates from university around there. So, yes, yeah, spent spent a bit of time harvesting a bit of rice, and yeah, went back yeah, to right. wheat. Oh yeah, wheat, barley, and canola last year, which was good too. So, yeah, great. Yeah, no, it's a very familiar area for us. We played footy all through that area in the Murray League, and 
yeah, so that's the that's the type of area I grew up on. It's great. Where was the dream as a kid to be a farmer? Be a, you've mentioned the the local footy clubs. There's been a few AFL players out of that Murray area. Yeah, yeah. Um, my cousin Bernard Tui played nearly 300 AFL games, but yeah. uh, fair to say uh, he didn't pass the talent on to his cousins. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, no, um, yeah. Um, uh, no, it wasn't. It probably wasn't um, really encouraged a lot by mum and dad to go farming. Like it's not. Um, it's not all beer and skittles. Like it's it's a tough gig farming, and um, there's a lot of positives in it. But yeah, mum and dad always said get out and do something else, and always loved the outdoors and um, helping mum in the garden and stuff like that. And I did a traineeship with the Burger Sports Club when I was doing year 11 and 12 as a greenkeeper, just one day a week. And that sort of got me into that. And I really loved the, the plants and grass and stuff like that. And always had that sort of um, attachment to that side of it. Um, so then I, from there, I wanted to get away from Cobham Brew when I finished year 12. And um, so I went to Aubrey and did landscape construction. And um, yeah, as I say, mum and dad always just said like, Maybe you'll come back to it or something, but get out and get get some other qualifications first. So that's what I did. And, um, yeah, started travelling and um, went over to Adelaide and Perth and had a way over time and just – but I – you know, it was great life experiences, but I, I just um, actually hurt my back and had a bit of a back injury that wasn't great. It wasn't – wasn't uh, it could have been a lot worse. But, yeah, thankfully um, I got some pretty good advice to get out of the physical side of it and – um, yeah, worked on a property over there after I finished landscaping in Perth. I'd set down south of Western Australia and got to know a good guy over there and worked on his massive broad acre property um, down between Albany and Esperance. And um, yeah, I knew I had to get out of landscaping and physical and I just spent a bit of a time with some agronomists over there just over a couple of months and realised this would be the go. And yeah, you know, and you could obviously relate that background they already had from um, Ag and Hort anyway and really discovered that that's the sort of thing I wanted to get into. So you went and applied to uni and, and got in and couldn't be couldn't be happier with what I chose to do. So, Was there still an interest in farming throughout that whole time or like when you were landscaping was it you were pretty set on this is this is the future and this is what I'll probably be doing forever? Yeah pretty much. I, I just while I was doing my apprenticeship I was like all I wanted to do was get it finished and start my own business and um, whatever. But I had this attraction to to agriculture and production and stuff like that. I think it was just like really involved, like being involved in harvest. And I used to work um, with a couple of mates even while I was doing my apprenticeship, just at the grain court bunkers and stuff like that um, down in Geelong and uh, out at Oakland's and you know places just to get a bit of extra cash and. I don't know, it was just saying about it. I think it was the people that are in agriculture, fantastic people. And, um, yeah, just the dealing with farmers and that, they're pretty genuine sort of people. And I don't, I don't know, I was just attracted to the to the production side of it too and but probably not necessarily um, wanted to be a farmer as such all the time and um, for various reasons, but yeah, always always had that some attachment. So that's why it became a really good fit because I could um, be involved in agriculture and production, but 
not be city bound and um, yeah, like it was it was just a, it was a great choice in the end and yeah, I love it. Did you find there was quite a crossover when it came to growing plants and establishing people's kind of backyards? At, then when you actually step back into agriculture and working in the paddock, was there, yeah, things that crossed over? Oh, a little bit. I was only really very minor background. Um, I think the biggest thing that was a crossover was I was just always interested in soils and plants and I did year 12 agriculture in year 11 because, yeah. I, you know, I liked it and, you know, it, just, it was just that the fact that I liked it so much that I sort of started uni and knew what I wanted to get out of it. In terms of like it, um, it was obviously a lot higher level and um, I was never an academic at school and if there's anything uh, school leavers and um, young adults, adults can get out of my story, it's the fact that if you really want to do and achieve something, you can if you put your mind to it and you know what you want to get out of something because um, I was never an academic and that was probably why university from from after year 12 was never a, a straight option for me. I was just sort of, I'll do a trade and probably didn't have, didn't have the confidence to go to university. or So I went and started and, and I hadn't even done any of the major science subjects through year 11 and 12, like chemistry, biology. Um, all I did was ag and hort and then some other, you know, minor math subjects and that because I just wasn't academic. So I did woodwork, metalwork, these sorts of subjects. And so when I got to university, it was a big shock and I knew what I was up for, but it was whew, it was tough. What kind of student would you say you are or you were? Well, in the end, because I, I, because I, um, I really knew what I wanted to achieve out of it and I just wanted to be an agronomist from when I started and, and then obviously other opportunities opened up well, but I, I knew that I had to work hard. Um, and once I started working hard straight away and using the tutorials and things like that at uni, well, I was, you know, getting distinctions and high distinctions in subjects. And in the end, I um, I got in the top 85%, I think, of our year. So, um, like, I think I got a couple of passes through the whole degree and that was it. Um, the rest were were distinctions and a few credits, but um, yeah, mainly the high stuff, just because I knew what I wanted to achieve. And, and that's what I say, like, I think you really get a lot out of life if if you really work hard and you know what you want to want to achieve in something. I think it's an interesting piece, and and I know chatting with a bunch of my friends at the moment, people are kind of at that stage where they they are obviously out of uni, but kind of at that limbo piece in their career, which maybe you got too earlier than others. But actually, yeah, kind of following the the path you're passionate about, but not looking at it at it as wasted time. Like, do you look back on that trip that you went around or halfway around Australia kind of in, and ended up in Perth? Do you ever look back on that as, as wasted time or was that a piece which really moulded you? No, it's a, exactly. You couldn't have put it better. No, I was only talking to my wife about it the other day. I, th- oh, I think it's because a new house and, um, and we're going through all the landscaping at the moment. So I'm just flat out before work managing four kids but I'm getting up at five in the morning and doing a couple of hours of landscaping if I can getting to work getting kids ready helping my wife getting home doing it doing it all weekend it's just nuts and I said to my wife I said I couldn't be happy with like I'm not actually enjoying the landscaping because it's it's such hard work and I've got too much I've got too much on like hard physical 
Yeah. And it's like, geez, I'm out of, uh, I'm certainly not fit these days, like I was playing footy. And it's just like, this is like, it's a bit of a reality check, you know, how good my career is and my job and how much I love it when you, so I've got got this mate in that I had from way back there, like 18 years ago. And um, he's doing a lot of my paving for me, but I'm doing the rest, I'm doing everything else, all the irrigation and the garden beds and edging and everything. But uh, I think I know, and what we're talking about is uh, like going around Australia, that really shaped me. I can remember living in Perth with a guy that um, was my best mate's brother-in-law and um, he was a lot older than than us, like 15 years old or whatever, but I stayed with him and his um, my mate's uh, sister over there and and that was when I was sort of really in the change and I couldn't have been living with a better bloke with 15 years older than me. I was only 21 or something and he was mid-30s and um, he was like, nah, you know, because I was thinking another trade or whatever, but I knew I had this attraction to ag. He's like, no, no, no don't do another trade. Use use your brain. You've got a brain. Go to uni and, um, you know, you'll, you'll fly. You'll do it easy. And, um, you know, if I hadn't have been in Perth travelling, I wouldn't have spoke with him. I wouldn't have even knew him hardly. Wouldn't have spoken to him. Um, another good mate that actually has got a similar um, path to me. He did a. I met him playing football in Albury when I did my apprenticeship, and he ended up doing arboriculture. But then he, um, then he uh, went to Melbourne University later as a mature age, and now he's man, uh, you know running a, an ag chem company, global ag chem company. So he did an apprenticeship, a horticultural apprenticeship, just like I did, and then went to you. You know, these people you meet by travelling and you, it's life experiences. Um, and if I didn't travel or do my apprenticeship, you know, I don't know what I'd, where I'd be or what I'd, what I'd be doing, you know. So, so yeah, it's, it's ironic, would you say, uh, the way it's worked out. So, And it. And maybe even slightly funnier that you're back on the tools now wondering, what on earth am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not too bad um, just to have this little piece because then I can have a bad couple of hours and go, I'm not doing this today. <laughs> and um, go back to consulting, so agronomy. So um no, it's um it's interesting, but yeah, couldn't be couldn't be happy with the way it's worked out. This episode and the four-part mini-series is proudly sponsored by Syngenta, the team that has been bringing global agriculture innovation to Australia for more than 90 years. Their world-class seed varieties and crop protection products help farmers overcome climatic challenges and sustainably grow more food, feed and fibre for all of us. You somewhat landed on your feet, didn't you, after after uni? You ended up with a, was it a traineeship with elders or just the... The opportunity? No, I just went straight into it. I they wanted me to do a traineeship, and I said, "No, I'm I'm too old for that. <laughs> I'm too old for that. I'm 26, 20, yeah, just about 26, and um, uh, no, just about 27, I think. Yeah, about 27, I was, and uh, I said, "No, I'll um, I want to just go straight into a, a role, like a major role, um, with um, some responsibility in that." I said, "I've grown up on a rice farm." 
you know, I know bits and pieces about that. So that was one reason I chose to go with Elders over at Griffith and uh, just gave me a bit of familiarity with something I knew, something about rice and, yeah, couldn't be more grateful of the opportunity. Do you think that, that confidence really kind of maybe set you apart, although you're coming out of uni at a similar level to some people academically, you actually had the life experience behind you to be like, well, actually, no, this is where I want to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think all of that for sure. Um, I've been told that too. So I think the life experience helped, but certainly in the actual day-to-day job, it can be a bit daunting for a university graduate to be going out to a farmer trying to tell them what to do and how to do things when, you know, generally you're only going to be 21 or two and not have much life experience. You've gone straight from school to maybe with a gap year and then straight through uni and into that job. So, no, to have various forms of experience, whether it's, you know, working on the grain bunkers and silos at harvest and talking with farmers and is, yeah, it's just invaluable. It's, um, and that was why I probably had the confidence to do it. Um, I don't think I would have been near as confident to like go into a horticultural role and start talking about tomatoes and stuff with tomato growers or potato growers because it's just not familiar to you. But that was just the way I found it. I don't think it's everyone's going to be different, um, but certainly that gave me confidence. Whereas now, if I wanted to change crop type and um, specialisation, I'd be very confident just to go into something completely different um, that I don't know anything about, like at the moment, like and learn as you go because. You know, that's, that's a big part of bad agriculture. Did you find yourself sometimes just scratching your head back, like, what have I got myself into? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. Um, the steep learning curve, I will say, in, in some aspects, particularly agronomy, there's a lot you don't, you don't learn at uni. There's a lot there's a lot you don't learn at uni. Wagga was very good um, for being fairly practical um, as and applied for what you do, like in an agronomy job or, um, those sorts of um, careers. But, yeah, there's a lot of stuff you can't learn at uni. It gives you the grounding of, of learning how to learn, really. Something I'm interested you, – you made the transition back to Albury, but over the last few years, uh, and I think it comes through as part of this Syngenta Growth Awards around the productivity category, but, yeah, I think particularly coming out of, out of drought, for instance, and – We've been fortunate to have, or this year, a lot of rain. How do you go with managing the the vision of your own, but your clients as well, and saying, well, actually, let's think about moisture and soil health over the next three to five years as opposed to just looking at the next 12 months and that next crop? Yeah, I guess um, from an agronomic point of view, um, it's not so much that. It's more the, it's more the mindset and the... Um, uh, mental toll, I suppose, a drought takes on a farmer and the pictures that you've got in their head about, you know, the amount of money you've got to spend on a crop before it even comes out of the ground, um, you know, with fertiliser and seed and fuel and all these running expenses of a business. Um, and that's the challenge. Um, it's It's not... We're probably fortunate in our area because we're a pretty reliable area down along the Murray River um, in terms of having a bad season. There's probably more, a lot, there's a lot more, we're regarded as a medium to high rainfall zone, 
Um, there's a lot of low rainfall zones, I suppose, and medium rainfall zones in Australia, but a lot of lows. So that would be probably more challenging than what the decisions I've got to make. But, yeah, I mean, you just got to, as an advisor, we've got to, we know that how you grow the best crop on a head, grow the best crop with the best nutrition and the moisture available. Um, and that's what you focus on. Um, sometimes growers, you know, have the negative mindset that they've got to cut back because of the last two years, but you can only cut back on things so much. And if you cut corners too much, you just won't, you, you're not, you're not in the box seat to achieve anything or achieve the highest outcome. So you've just got to, um, yeah, focus on the data, on the technical research and the data, the best varieties and the best nutrition for that crop given the amount of rainfall. And then, like, if it's a really dry start, regardless of what the last two years have done, well, there's there's inputs that you save on anyway. There's chemicals and sprays that you don't do because it's dry anyway. So there's certain stuff you save money on, but there's certain things that you just got to do, and that's you know, spending money on fertiliser and seed and things like that. So I'm not sure where that really answers your question, but you just got to stay focused to actually what's the goal here. We've got to rotate chemistries and, and herbicides, different sprays, because otherwise you end up with a resistance by doing the same thing all the time. And so you've just got to have your goals set and say, well, we're going to do these things along the way. We can't change these types of things to achieve our outcome. Yeah, I think wrapping it up really, really well at the end there was around it's that, yeah, it's not just chasing your tail, but it is using the science, but then also kind of what's practical and happening on the ground, which is interesting. Yeah. In in terms of one thing that you mentioned with your application and what your, or where you see a real opportunity for Australian producers is understanding more about the customer base and who people are producing for. It was interesting chatting last week with Simon Doolan and he, he he's working directly with some bakers and, and brewers and flour millers in, and growing for them and vice versa. There's a real interest between kind of the nearly the end point and, and what they're doing. Do you, do you see opportunities like that as being, yeah, a big growth area and, and something you, you potentially would look at introducing for your clients? Yeah, potentially. I mean, it depends on what you, what market you're in. In broadacre agriculture that I'm in, it is, it's probably more difficult to, to have any influence on any sort of markets because it's not a, a niche type game. Um, and even flour millers and stuff like that. So we're not a high-protein wheat growing area. We're getting quite technical um, in that sort of an area when I start talking about that. But yeah, um, a lot of our wheat we produce is lower protein. Um, we don't get that finish generally that you need, um, whereas further up in New South Wales you do, um, and that's why they can grow higher wheat protein and stuff like that. So a lot of our grain... Um, wheat grain stuff goes as feed quality. So we've got a big um, feed place called Rivalee in Corowa. You know, a lot of huge grain accumulator for, for our area. Um, so it's a little bit, yeah, I mean, what I focused on in the St. Jana Growth Awards um, was around, yeah, opportunities and particularly probably international and overseas because I know that we're renowned in certain products as, as very good on a world stage, like our malt barley, for instance. Yep. 
Um, I'm not a marketer and it's not my specialty, but, um, you know, we've got to be able to demand a premium for something that, that is a, a very good product, um, you know, rather than letting it just go when other countries can't produce it. I mean, it's no different to, it's just marketing, isn't it, the way that you market it. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's that conversation could go for a long time as to how we achieve it but, <laughs> and how we do it. But, um, yeah, we do, we do have to know our customer base better probably with all our markets and where it's going and even before we even do that, what we're growing yeah. to go to those markets. So, In terms of other opportunities and one of them which, fingers crossed, when the book, when, let's not say if, when borders stay open is that you do actually get to travel overseas as part of um, being a, a growth award winner and traveling not just with the, the Aussie cohort and, and meeting them but actually heading over into Europe. What, what are you most looking forward to about that trip? Oh, it's invaluable those sorts of trips. These sorts of trips because um, just a lot of lot of what I do day to day, which is introducing new herbicides and new products and into our Australian market. So doing trials on them over here and showing our growers. Well, overseas, I'll see I'll see new products in the Syngenta factory of what they're manufacturing. And then I'll have that experience to stay and be talking to growers over there and um, industry people over there to say what their experience is with some of these products before we introduce them to Australia. And that's just invaluable, that sort of stuff. Um, and, um, yeah, just just talking to them over there in, in a different environment. Um, they've got different rainfall conditions, all kinds of different issues. They've The EU, um, you know, has is majorly, you know, involved in this reducing pesticide use. Um, so they've got, and they've got big restrictions on burning stubbles and things like that, which we're still doing. And they're things that are going to change. So to be able to speak to people firsthand how they're achieving some of these sorts of things in, in an agriculture environment is, yeah, I mean, you just, you can't have anything to replace that. It's so valuable to be able to bring that information back to our Australian growers and our, my client base. And, and I think nearly time back, it's quite, quite a full circle. It's nearly that experiences of traveling and meeting people and seeing different areas that like what you got as part of that trip around Australia that you did similarly heading overseas. It, it's very much a professional piece, but it's, uh, it, it would just be fascinating to, to chat with those guys. Exactly. As you are saying, people who have lived experience of different things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's just, yeah, it's invaluable being able to travel places and meet other people and talk to them about their issues and whether it's in agriculture or whether it's just in life in general. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, really thoroughly looking forward to it. And no, that is obviously um, mingling and networking with all the the other um, growth ward winners and the, and the St. Jenna people, I mean, you get a lot of um, experience out of doing that and a lot of information, um, which is all the same thing, whether they're the overseas people or not. It's, um, yeah, yeah, thoroughly. Yeah. Forward. Well, from from the, the three others alongside you that I've spoken to, I think you guys will have a pretty exciting trip and, and, and no shortage of different areas of the industry to, to talk about for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One question which I ask everyone, Chris, that comes on the podcast is you get the chance to go in and talk to a class of U10 students and give them kind of 
yeah, from your perspective, why you think a career in agriculture is something worth pursuing. What would be some of your advice to them about that? Oh, there's just an endless list of opportunities um, from, you know, if you're, if you're more academic-minded than I ever was and you wanted to end up back in a school teaching, you can teach agriculture, go, go and do agriculture and go and do your dip ed and all these sorts of things. You can end up as rural in, um, you know, business and do rural business lending in a bank. Um, you can be an agronomist, you can be an animal nutritionist, you can, um, there's, you know, an endless list of opportunities, including becoming a farmer. And, um, I mean, it's just really an entry-level thing these days to have um, tertiary Bachelor of Agricultural Science now to be involved in ag because it's such a lot of, especially from a farming point of view, um, they're operating on such small profit margins that things have got to be done right. And, um, yeah, I mean, you, you get a wealth of knowledge and experience out of doing it, but the options are just endless. Like, um, And it's just a great industry to be involved in. Like, um, I've heard many people say, that are in other industries or, or part of other industries because they might be in agriculture, but they're you know specialising in marketing or something. So they've been in other industries as, as in marketing though. Yep, and we've never come across an industry like it um, where it's such a small, tight knit type group that it, the friendliness and the just the way the industry operates is so open, and you can go to a conference and. It's just so open and uh, the networking is is fantastic. And, yeah, you, I just know people all around the world and around Australia now, um, you know, and, and Twitter is a good example of that. Um, agriculture in, on Twitter, on social media is just enormous. And, um, yeah, everyone just talks to everyone. And, yeah, it's quite remarkable. It is. And, and you end up having these people you're like, oh, I know their name. I've never met them, but I've... Gee, I feel like I know them. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, no, it's a, it's a great career to be involved in industry. We hope you guys are enjoying these Super Saturday series. Certainly enjoying chatting to the 2020 Growth Award winners. We've got one more left, Alex Thomas. I reckon this is one of the most fun chats I've had in a very long time. Alex is absolutely hilarious. She's talking about well, her work's around a very serious topic, being work, health and safety, but she certainly knows how to make it fun and enjoyable. We know Christmas is coming up as well, and we will be having a little bit of a break. We haven't quite decided if our last episode will be the 15th of December or the 22nd, but see how we're going. Look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. Chat to you next week.